your measure of success is not just based on profit or your you know your commitment to your shareholders but your definition of success is based on the impact to your community and to the world so uh, I think B Corp puts it best when they say that once upon a time businesses were all concerned about being the best in the world and as a certified B Corp you get to sign up to this amazing roster of companies that are all committed to being the best for the world. Welcome to What Works. I'm your host, Tara Gentili. On What Works, our goal is to break through best practices, transcend conventional wisdom, and put theory to the test. To do that, we talk to real small business owners about what's actually working for them right now and deep dive on the who, what, how, and why of how it works. My guest this week is Michael Siriani, a restaurateur, community activist, all-around creative, and the founder of Buzz, a street food concept in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Michael originally hails from Pittsburgh and now spends his time captaining MSIR Restaurants LLC, which is a B Corp certified business for good. His passions outside of work include enjoying life with his family, reading voraciously, and exploring the wilderness in travel. I wanted to find out more about why Michael decided to pursue B Corp certified status and how how that's impacted his business operations. We talk about how the B impact assessment led Michael to document and put into policy a lot of the social and environmental impact activities he was naturally doing, including paying living wages, creating an employee handbook, and vetting suppliers. You might think that B Corp status only applies to big companies like some of my personal favorites, Patagonia, Athleta, and Bombas. But you'll hear how Michael has used the process of certification to ensure his company's legacy and improve overall operational sustainability something all small businesses, no matter how small, should be implementing as their businesses mature. Now, let's find out what works from Michael Siriani. Michael Siriani, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. All right. So you are our first restaurateur on the podcast. I'm really excited about this conversation because I think we're going to go some places. We have literally never gone before <laughs> on What Works or Profit Power Pursuit. So tell us about Buzz, how it came to be, and what it's kind of becoming now because I know you're up to some new stuff. Yeah. Um, well, B Buzz is a concept that I kind of loosely based on a, a cafe and bar that I used to work at in Minneapolis that had this really great fusion of breakfast and lunch, coffee shop-esque kind of vibe, but then transitioned really seamlessly into this late night music kind of club. And uh, that was the original intent for, uh, you know, when I sat down and I wrote a business plan and I was like, I'm going to open my own place. I'm going to, I'm going to do this kind of dreamy kind of project. And when we got the opportunity to open here in Lancaster, that wasn't really the the same opportunity. So we had to kind of evolve a little bit. And what we became was more of a coffee, breakfast and lunch takeaway window that was still really heavily influenced by rock and roll music. That's my jam. That's what I do. That's what I, that's kind of like my whole attitude is very rock and roll. So I decided that that was going to be kind of a new thing for the community that no one else was offering. Um, and I just crossed my fingers and hoped that it would work and it did. So I'm, I'm really super grateful that, uh, we got the reception that we did. Um, we signed a, a two year lease, uh, with, uh, some friends of mine that owned a restaurant and we were really successful for those two years. Um, but the end of the two years has come now. And so we need to kind of figure out how we're going to 
pivot and turn into something new. And what it turns out that we've been doing all along is really a brick and mortar food truck. Um, So, yeah. So what we decided was um, until we can find that ideal space where we can do music and everything that we originally wanted to, that we would open a truck, get our brand in front of more eyes and figure out a way to help the community um, through B Corp certification, but also through just being a presence and being a positive presence and a fun presence in the community. So we are launching our food truck here in the next few weeks. Um, I keep telling people May. I'm really hopeful that all the licensing will come through by then. But um, but that is uh, that's the plan. That's incredible. Okay, so I want to talk about B Corp status uh, and the, and that certification process in a little bit. Um, that's what okay. we're going to spend a lot of time talking about. But sure. um, I'm sure people are thinking like, okay, you had this uh, uh, walk-up takeaway place and it was super successful for two years. Why not stick with what was super successful? Why choose to iterate into something different? Yeah, it's um, a, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we didn't really have many choices. There just aren't okay. really a, there aren't really a lot of locations in the city that have kind of the capability of being this walk up situation that we had. Now we've got Central Market. Um, Central Market's got some pretty strict rules about what you can and cannot cook under that roof. It's a historic mm-hmm. building, et cetera, et cetera. We've got. Um, you know, maybe two or three other places in town that I would think of. None of them are really ideal locations for the kind of foot traffic that we would need. Um, and essentially, as I said, what we what we ended up doing was, um, and I think if I remember correctly, you wanted to talk a little bit about this, but we um, we ended up starting out as this idea of being a cafe and really evolving into this really the first and only really downtown street food kind of place um so there's uh cilantro which is uh, sam and cindy are, are good friends of mine and they do kind of an asian street food um kind of thing i don't know if you've ever dined at cilantro but Mm-mm. they um they they do uh kind of like a sushi rito kind of uh big rice wrap full of all your fresh ingredients it's really delicious but their place is still a sit down with a dining room and everything um and so what we wanted to do was have people be able to walk around and have food that they could eat while walking, while commuting, eat at their desk and have, um, you know, have it still be fresh and delicious and great uh, from a culinary standpoint. So when the time came that we had to make a decision, um, part of it was cost related. Getting into the food truck business is not the same overhead and the same amount of capital as opening a full-fledged restaurant. But also, on the other hand, it was our identity had kind of become this street food uh, idea where people, you know, were rem- uh, we had people reminisce about times that they spent in Italy or in Thailand or or other places where you see street vendors, kind of really really popular on the street. Uh, we don't have that here, but we tried to fill that void. Gotcha. And I think it might be helpful for for people listening to for me to mention that uh, we are not in the same city, but we are in the same county. And so I get down to your city quite often, being just up in the Lidditz area. Um, And also, we should make sure everyone knows it is pronounced Lancaster and not Lancaster. That's very important. Lancaster. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) All right. So I did... 
I did want to talk a little bit about this, the street food focus. And it sounds like you there was a bit of an evolution into that as a focus. Was that driven primarily by the opportunity you saw in the market? Was it an overlap of that opportunity and your passion for street food? How, do, how did that evolution take place? Oh, no, I, I had zero passion for street food. To okay. Um, I, I was like, I did not necessarily. In fact, my wife, Samantha, said to me, she's a coffee expert. And she when I was developing our coffee, I said to her, um, you know, we've got a really, really high end coffee shop about half a block away. And then we've got McDonald's one block away. And my whole philosophy from the very beginning was I want to have a good coffee, but I'm not going to compete with that handcrafted pour over coffee shop half a block away, but I'm going to blow it out of the water compared to McCafe. So she said, well, what you're talking about is commonly referred to as street coffee in other countries. And I said, I did not know that. Um, And so we took that idea of street coffee and kind of started to apply it to other menu items. And then coincidentally, uh, street food kind of became this phenomenon in in the restaurant industry that's still kind of growing and is hasn't even gotten close to having the bubble burst yet but there are all kinds of street food places popping up in you know all the cool places that you would expect los angeles san francisco chicago new york all these places that are traditional style restaurants that have a street food style menu so you go in and you get you know, bao buns, but you get bao buns with French fries on top, let's say, or you go in and you get a chili dog. Oh, there's a, there's a great, um, a great example right here in Philly is a, a there's a, a restaurant called Tattooed Moms and Tattooed Moms does just crazy kind of street vendor food. Um, but it's a more traditional restaurant model. So we uh, kind of just explored, you know, what are some of these places doing? What do some of the recipes I've collected over the dozen restaurants I've worked in and some of the operational practices that I've kind of decided this is how we're going to operate and what works for us? Gotcha. Thank you so much for clarifying that. And I love that's okay. Yeah. And I love your 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 uh, awareness around. Okay, this is what is this is a hole in the market here. This is a trend out there. and I love that you also yeah. admitted like this was not a passion of mine, but now I'm really into it kind of thing. I think that's that's a huge takeaway from the how you created the success that you've created. Thanks. So you recently celebrated your certification as a B Corp, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, but also, what's a B Corp? <laughs> <laughs> um, B Corp is it's. Uh... So if I said to you, if I if I were to say, if you're if you're a savvy consumer at all, and I were to say, uh, the brands like Patagonia or Ben and Jerry's or, um, I'm trying to think of some, uh, there's a, a really popular cleaning product that I cannot can never remember off the top of my head. Um, those are all B corps. Those are B. Uh, those corporations have all gone through the same certification process as us, and they've all decided that they want to put this label on their product. And what that label symbol uh, symbolizes is that your measure of success is not just based on profit or your, uh, you know, your commitment to your shareholders, but your definition of success is based on the impact to your community and to the world and your uh, commitment to your stakeholders, 
which is, you know, in business terms, quite, quite different um, and who you choose to make your stakeholders. So uh, I think B Corp puts it best when they say that once upon a time, businesses were all concerned about being the best in the world. And as a certified B Corp, you get to sign up to this amazing roster of companies that are all uh, committed to being the best for the world. Mm. Oh, that's neat. <laughs> yeah, it's that. a really, I mean, it's a, uh, it's really something that has, you know, transformed kind of the way that I think about the way my business life and my personal life kind of interact. Um, in fact, I just uh, posted a, a, I was reading an article this morning. I, I'll just, I won't mention what the company was, but I was reading an article and I was just, stunned that there was this company that was not valuing what their employees or their customers really valued. Um, mm. and, and they're, they were still finding a way to be successful. And I just, I updated my LinkedIn status this morning as I, you know, I'm a firm believer that a company's values have to, um, drive and reflect what your customers and your vendors and your employees value and in addition to that that those values should be rooted in kindness and fairness and generosity and i think that's who i kind of always saw myself as a leader in business and i could not be more happy that b corp came along and we are now my personal um Person, my my personality matches my professional desire. Does that make sense? Mm. Oh yeah, totally. So there's there's uh, I, I can totally understand. Obviously, the 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 motivation behind running your business in an ethical way, in a way that mm-hmm. uh, takes care of your customers, that exudes your values um, from top to bottom, inside and out. Um, but doing that and then deciding to pursue a certification in that are two different things. Why did you decide that you wanted to pursue this <laughs> certification on top of just running your business in, in a really ethical sort of way? That's that's actually <laughs> you'll laugh. That's actually uh, I did not decide to do this. This okay. was um, so <laughs> so this was a uh, there is a group of customers of mine that work for um, a group called Assets. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you're familiar with Assets in Lancaster, um, but we have this wonderful community organization that basically says small business can be a driver of change in the community, and small business can start to create a, an economy that works for everybody. And I really love the work they do. And so they were coming to the cafe and I was doing events and I was, you know, donating gift cards or we have a whole program at the cafe where we would help keep the homeless warm and feed them throughout the winter. You know, people who are living on the streets and really treating them like people as opposed to vagrants. And uh, the guys at Assets came to me and they said, look, dude, you're doing all this stuff. You might as well get credit for it. Um, so, so I sat down with them and I went through the initial assessment. And um, when you sit down and, and you do the initial, the uh, B impact assessment is what it's called. When you do it initially, I think the average first time score is like a 29 or something like that. And ours was almost a 56. And I wow. thought, well, I was like, well, God, we, you know what, they're right. We are doing a ton of stuff. And through then, uh, through the, uh, the assessment, it kind of became this roadmap of, well, here's another thing I could tweak, or there's another thing I could do, or wow, if I did this, 
that would impact three or four levels of of thought and action here in the community. Um, so I really owe it to, to assets to, for coming to me and saying, you're really halfway there. And so we made some changes. Um, we did some things with more intention and it took about eight months or nine months for us to really get to the final review stage. But uh, in order to get to final review, you have to achieve a score of uh, an assessment score of an 80. And we had an eight, like an 82 roughly. Um, and we passed on our first attempt. And it was it was just really satisfying to know that we kind of had achieved this thing that a lot of local businesses are doing, but not many businesses worldwide. There's only there's less than 3000 B Corps worldwide. In fact, yesterday, uh, the parent company of Dannon uh, that makes yogurt and, mm -hmm. um, you know, dairy products uh, just became the world's largest B Corp. Um, wow. They were just they just finished their certificate or they were awarded their their label yesterday. Um, I saw that on the news and I was just like, man, this is just like there's less than 3000 and you've got tiny little companies like mine and you've got the largest dairy producer. Well, one of them internationally. <laughs> and and you're talking about all the impact that's going to make. You know? That's absolutely incredible. I want to interrupt this interview for just a bit to talk about what's not working for you and your business. And that's simply doing more of the stuff everybody else is doing. Too many small business owners fall into the trap of thinking that they have to do everything to be successful. Not only is that not true, it's not truly sustainable. How long could you keep doing business the way you're doing it now? Probably not very long. Of course, if doing more isn't the answer, then it stands to reason that doing less might be. And I'd say that's true, but it has to be less of the right stuff. It has to be the things that work for you, the things that set you apart, the things that turn your small business into a well-oiled machine with a heck of a lot of heart. Now, you're not going to come up with what works for you in an online course where someone's telling you what to do and how to do it. You figure these things out by making space, getting curious, talking with other small business owners on a similar journey and experimenting. And that is why we created the What Works Business Immersion. It's intentionally unlike anything we know of on the market to support small business owners. It's an opportunity to create space each week for eight weeks to rest with the hard questions. It's a safe space to talk with smart and savvy business owners in small groups about what's on your mind. It's a guide for learning more about your own business. Plus, it's just the first step of 12 months of interactive support in the Leader Circle at Co-Commercial, where you have weekly access to small group flash masterminds, co-working chats, special events, and more. And the best part? You get the eight-week interactive immersion plus 12 months of support in the leader circle for less than your average flashy online course. We'll be opening the doors for the next cohort of the What Works Business Immersion very soon. To get notified when we do, go to cocommercial.co slash immersion. That's cocommercial.co slash immersion. Can you tell us more about the assessment? Because I actually, yeah. through assets, found out about, well, 
through Shannon, our community advocate and your friend, mm-hmm. and through yeah. uh, through Shannon, through assets, we found out about the assessment. I took it last week. I loved it. We scored terribly, of course, because I didn't know <laughs> half of these things were a thing, like having recycling policies. <laughs> you know, it's like a virtual right. workplace. Recycling yeah. is not necessarily something I'm thinking about on a regular basis. So I will be right. totally upfront with that. But like you said, it even as you're taking the test, you're like, well, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. That's, that's easy. And it would codify all the things that we want to do in order to have a greater impact on our, our communities. So how can people find out about the assessment? Um, I think it's on the assets website, but tell us more. Yeah. Um, and and what what were some of the things that as you were going through the assessment, you realized, oh, I could do this, I could do this better, or I could, I could move, you know, I, I could move the needle on this particular item? Um, well, I think the one that really I felt um the one that surprised me the most and the one that was the toughest business decision slash easiest personal decision for me was kind of seeing – this is the great thing about these – okay, so this is just – I'm going to just throw a bunch of information out there. But um, when, you take, when you take the assessment, it's basically – it's divided into five parts. There's the governance part, which is how all your legal documents and, and you know – uh, are you a benefit LLC versus a regular LLC? Do you have language in your agreements and whatnot that reflect B Corp? There's the uh, second category is workers, uh, community, environment, and customers. So those are your five big buckets. And for me, in digging into the workers aspect, I had always, I thought, treated my workers great as a manager. And I'm a people manager of many years. So I thought I knew what to do. But what I didn't realize was having an employee handbook that I could hand to these people was, it's a huge deal. It's a, uh, it's a huge deal. Having an yeah. anti-discrimination policy. I mean, we all assume I only hire people who are anti-discrimination, right? Like I, I feel like you, I only hire nice people. So, so it was, but having it in writing and having it, um, all of those little things increased morale, made people feel safer at work. And especially in the troubling times that we're going through, I felt like it was important for people to know, hey, if you are trans, if you are black, if you are, you know, a straight white man like myself, but concerned, you're safe here. And you're and it that translates to our customers as well. But of course I see my workers every single day. So letting them know all those things was really important. Maybe the most important, though, was going through this assessment, I really recognized that if I started to pay a living wage in my community, what, how that trickles down. I think we've got significant mm-hmm. evidence now, and I don't mean to get overly political, but we've got significant evidence that the federal trickle-down economy isn't working for everybody. But the trickle-down, the trickle-down economy at a local level really does work. So I essentially sat down with my books and I said, I can't really afford to do this and this, right? I can't afford to give everybody a living wage and bring home X amount of profit. But that's what the whole thing's about is to say, all right, well, 
if, from an ethical decision, profit's got to be sacrificed for the betterment of my staff. And when you give somebody a living wage, they're less likely to leave. You increase retention. They learn more. They grow more. They become a bigger part. They're more invested. They become a bigger part of your company on, in the long run. They're less likely to go and find a second job because they have less of an economic need. So they're available more hours to you. There's just all these positives about it. So that's probably the thing I learned most and, and simultaneously the thing I'm proudest about. Um, but there were, there's lots of other things like environment, like our environmental, um, score was pretty low at first. And then I started digging into it and I thought, well, shoot, we get most of our product from within, I think that, I think the uh, B Corp definition is from within 200 miles, they call it local. And most of mine comes from within 25 miles. So I started putting, I started putting in the address of all these Amish farmers that I use or these vendors that I use that repurpose from people within 200 miles from resellers. And I saw my environmental score go up because you don't, I don't think the average consumer and probably poor business person thinks about if I use X big national brand, then it was probably made in China, shipped over on a boat into a port, trucked or trained to my location then trucked or or trained from the warehouse to my, you know, because I go to market and I buy the bacon from the farmer, the number of fossil fuels, the number of man hours, everything is lower. So there's more impact with that purchase. Does that make sense? Yeah, it completely makes sense. And I'm so glad you brought that one up in particular, because this was something you were already doing, but you hadn't Again, you hadn't like codified it. You hadn't put it in your documentation. You haven't, you didn't say this was a policy that we have. I had the exact same experience um, on a similar kind of question in the assessment where uh, I think it asks about, you know, what percentage of your suppliers are uh, female or minority Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. owned. And I started thinking through the the quote unquote suppliers we use. Of course, you know, we're not buying supplies, but we're uh, contracting with software, right? right? And so I'm thinking through like our software vendors and thinking, you know, I got to check with these people, but I think actually we could score much better on this question that I would expect. And also that means that I could put a policy in place that says, this is how, this is one of the things that we vet potential software on is that they, that, that a certain percentage of our software needs to be female or minority owned, which I mean, that just made me so excited just to realize that I could like do that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but it was so exciting. No, but it is. And it's, it's exciting. And it's, the way that we want the world to move forward. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense for small businesses to be doing it. We actually, um, one of the things that, and this is not to pat myself on the back, but one of the things that we discovered when we were going through our assessment was, hey, this is something that everybody's going to have to vet, right? This is something that no matter what business you're in, you're going to have to vet your suppliers or your your relationships. So let's create, and and I'm sure if you ask assets that give you access to this, let's create a survey that says, Hey, we want to make sure these 10 things, you know, we want to know, does your company have a mission statement? We want to know your name and address. We want to know, are you minority owned, female owned? We want to know if you have an anti-discrimination policy. We want to know if you utilize child, well, child labor, we want, you know, and those are things that I would have not thought to check, but Mm-hmm. I would have thought I would have been horrified to find out that I was taking part in. So I was the the assessment again was this roadmap or this kind of like eye opener that, oh, 
here are all the things that lie below the surface. Let's check them all out and make sure that we're doing business the right way. Yeah. What kind of benefits have you received as a business owner or as a business because of the process that you went through to become certified? Um, I think we're still finding out. I think I think right mm-hmm. now the the big benefit has been in our business, especially being a small company, we don't have a huge media budget. So we've got I've gotten to do things like cool podcasts, and uh, <laughs> I've gotten to do things like I've been interviewed a couple of times, and you know I've gotten a couple hundred or a thousand shares on Facebook or those kind of things that just get not only pictures of my sandwiches out there, but our brand name, the B Corp logo. Um, my ugly mug. Uh, so we get all those things kind of uh, just making our brand a little more popular. And where that's going to pay off is once the truck is up and running and we go to these communities, people will be like, oh, I saw that on Facebook or, oh, that's what everybody's talking about. Um, and so we're going to you know, plaster that B Corp logo on that truck and people are going to ask about it. And then we're going to get to in person, talk to them about how we help feed the homeless and we help you know, protect, protect women's reproductive rights. And we help do all these other things that are not necessarily involved in making sandwiches, but are on a very fundamental level, a part of our community and a part of the way that we want to drive our community to do the right thing. Yeah. Well, that leads me perfectly to to what my next question was going to be, which is how are you going to take advantage of this? Because not only is this not only does this have benefits to you in terms of, like you said, employee retention, uh, being able to tell your story in the community, getting some free publicity. But I imagine that there's uh, I imagine you're you're starting to think about the ways that you can really highlight this and use it to your advantage as you head into this next phase of your business. So so what are you thinking about there? Yeah, I think uh, so. Two big things come to mind, and then I'm sure there's a million small things that will come to mind over time, but the two big things that have really hit me right first and foremost is that – so Buzz isn't the only concept that I want to own and that I want to operate. So mm. I've got I've got at least two other concepts kind of in the hopper that I'm like always percolating on and trying to perfect. And um, what I want is I want somebody to know that my, my umbrella restaurant company is going to continue to put – businesses out there, food food and beverage service businesses out there that are going to be uh, ethical from the ground up. And we were super, I feel so fortunate to be somebody who's only been, I mean, we were just incorporated two years ago. And so that's not very long to be a B Corp. So to be to build with the B Corp as our foundation makes us infinitely more strong. You're infinitely stronger than if we were to try and be B Corp five or seven years from now. Um, So that's, Mm -hmm. that's one thing is that it's going to just help the restaurant company grow and help um, us kind of provide a a little bit of a niche in this industry regionally that you don't see very often. Um, So that's going to be very beneficial to us. So then the other thing, um, and this is where I get a little shy because I really hate talking about myself, but I've had so many people come to me, like just other business owners uh, or like, like we're doing right now, having conversations. And it's kind of this piece of about being an inspiration to people and being an inspiration to other people who want to achieve this. That's personally super uncomfortable for me, but I also realize professionally very, very important because our goal uh, in, in working with Craig at Assets, his personal goal, and I've kind of 
taken it on my shoulders as, as a, a pet project is to make Lancaster County the uh, have to get Lancaster County to have more certified B corporations per capita than anywhere else in the world. Awesome. And so, yeah. And so there are something like, I think I was the sixth, I think uh, a friend of mine who uh, runs a business here in town is going to be, uh, she owns three companies. So she'll be seven, eight, nine. Um, if, if I think any day now we can expect our announcement and then I, I thought that was pretty impressive. And then the last number that I heard was that there are 80 more people in the county taking the assessment. So all 80 more companies that are ass- essentially in the pipeline towards, and not all of them will make it, of course, but that's an insane number of, to talk about by the end of the year, you we could be approaching 100 B Corps in Lancaster County. That really... And like kind of chokes me up a little bit to know that we are number six and that we're going to be an inspiration for people and that the more people I talk to about this, I can kind of be this zealot that says, hey, you don't have to do business the same way. And to be honest with you, Tara, and I feel like you and I are like minded like this, our generation and the generations younger than us are not interested in doing business the same way. We're not interested. We're not interested in business being this kind of like thing where I end up with a yacht right mm-hmm. i'm interested in i'm interested and i think the our, our children's generation and our grandchildren's generation someday will be interested in i want business to say hey did i get to do what i love for a living a b was i able to pay my bills sure that's important and leave something for you know have a legacy financially but more so it's about having a legacy overall and saying i created something and i created something that's really fucking cool (laughs) you know it's really it's really powerful and so i think that inspiration piece is probably the thing that um again i I sound so super excited about it but then also when people come up to me and they say hey you're that guy i'm like oh god (laughs) like i go into my turtle shell and i'm just like then I have to remember, okay, you have to talk about this because it's really important. Yeah. Well, it all comes back to having that multi-level impact, right? Like you can have an impact on uh, sort of that grassroots level with the way your company does business and, and the kinds of things that it does in the community, but you have to be a part of that too. I mean, I think, yes, it's amazing that you're the the founder and the sort of the leader behind what your business is doing. But I think that you're at a personal level, um, that's part of your responsibility too. I mean, I know i feel that um, even outside of, of the B Corp world as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's awesome. And I think that's something that we all kind of have to wrestle with as business owners as our uh, the, the personal impact and responsibility that we have uh, in, in our community of other, of other business owners. So I'm glad that that's something that's already, uh, that you're already having the opportunity to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. I really like, I, I, I just want to touch on one thing you just said there was you use the word responsibility. And that's one thing that I just, I wish if I could drive home to everybody who, um, isn't doing B-cert, I would say, I, I know how, uh, I know how heavy handed this sounds, but you absolutely have a responsibility to do it. Anybody who doesn't think that is is setting themselves up for failure because your business is not going to be sustainable. I mean, this is sustainability 101. Are you doing what's right for your community? <clears throat> are you doing what's right for your community? Because they're your customers and they're your future employees. And so that is that is the one word that I would say 
uh, the private sector, uh, you know, as we define it, absolutely has a responsibility to make um, themselves a part of solutions and a part of uh, progress. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad that you mentioned sustainability too, because I think a lot of times when we hear the word sustainability, we're thinking about in terms of environmental sustainability. And what I hear you saying and what I experienced going through the the uh, the B Corp assessment is that you really have to look at sustainability in every aspect of your business. It goes back to what you said about legacy, right? If we're not thinking about these things, if we're not thinking about how to retain our workers, how to make sure that they're well taken care of, how to make sure that we're giving back to our communities, um, all of the operational implications of that, we're likely building something that doesn't have a legacy and doesn't have operational sustainability either. And it's really tempting, I think, that as a a very small business owner or as a freelancer to think, well, that's, I don't have to worry about that. I just, I just work with my clients and, and at the end of the day, that's fine. And I don't, I don't need anything else, but I think over time, the more you build sustainability into your business, the easier it becomes, the more rewarding it becomes, the more profitable it becomes, and you get to have more fun. And that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm so glad you said that. That's exactly where my mind was going is I started this so I could have fun, man. Like I started this because I wanted to, I wanted to chat with people all day and make food because I, it's what I'm good at and it's what I love but what I've stumbled on is far much more responsibility and it's not just this little idea of making a sandwich now and then for somebody and chatting and making friends it's making friends that the the entire package is impactful right right exactly so it's it's I think you just you just nailed it like if I could encapsulate the last 30 seconds of you speaking and have it on a recorder and play it for people I'd be like (laughs) listen to Tara right that's what I would that's that's what I would say is uh, is the overwhelming message here. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. As we start to wrap up here, I just want to know kind of what your plan is for the next couple of months as you launch the food truck, where you're going to be, what you're going to be up to, what kind of food you're going to be making. Just feel free to, to, to plug it away and let us know where we can find <laughs> you if we're in the area. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess uh, we're going to do a couple of different things. So we're going to have kind of two, I think this is shaping up to be kind of two divisions in my head. Um, We're going to do our same breakfast and lunch thing that we've been doing for two years. And we're going to do, actually, the easiest way to do it is I I have a buddy who's a a web wizard, and he is just going to put on our website, you can be able to go to any of our social media and any of our or or our website anytime, any day, and find out where we are. It's going to be right on the front page. Breakfast, boom, here's where we are. The Fridge, 534 North uh, Mulberry Street in Lancaster. Or Lunch, the Candy Factory on North Queen Street in Lancaster. Um, wherever we are, it's going to be on the website and it's going to be on social media. So I think that's kind of how our customer lives. And so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for that. Um, we are going to do lunch uh, five days a week and breakfast six days a week still. Um, and then we're also going to add this kind of late night component. So a lot of people have been, we were really lucky in 2016, we won the award for Lancaster's number one hangover cure. So we are, (laughs) we are going (laughs) to, we are going to capitalize on that. And we're going to, um, with, you know, working with the city to try and make sure that this is all copacetic and legal, but we're going to try and park outside some of, you know, the more popular places in town at 11 PM, 1 PM, 1 AM and be serving, you know, really delicious greasy egg sandwiches that we're, are going to help settle your stomach after a long night of drinking. Um, and then 
I think the second division that I referenced is probably special events. You'll see us at the ballpark. You'll see us at weddings. You'll see us at graduation parties and community events. And in fact, while I was, I was speaking to you here, I got two emails for, Hey, we're doing this 5k. Do you want to come and vend? And uh, so I think that's all new. We had done some catering as a cafe. And I think this is going to replace the catering portion for us is to do some special events. So we are looking to get our license here in the next week or two. And um, hopefully by the end of May, we'll be booked through September, I'm guessing. Um, wow. Yeah. So we, it's been a really, it's been a really great um, reception to this uh, kind of reinvention that we've been forced to do. But uh, I could not be, I could not be more excited, but I could also not be more terrified <laughs> that we are changing everything we've ever done and just going to go out and on four wheels and have a big fat adventure. That is so cool. Well, I hope we get to see you up, uh, up lit its way at the new fetish brewing company. Already, um, already uh, talking to them. So we will see, you, yes, we will see you amen. out there. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Cause it's right by my climbing gym. It's very oh, convenient I'm, for beer and food. Excellent. I know a couple other people who climb there. So that's really actually, yeah. that's funny. I'll see you around there sometime. Perfect. You will definitely see me. Awesome. Well, Michael Sirianni, this was a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for sharing everything about your B Corp journey um, and the buzz journey in general and, and all the good things that are coming your way. Um, thank you so much for being my guest today. Find out more about Michael Sirianni and the Buzz food truck at eatatbuzz.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of What Works. It's Rebels with a Cause Month at Co-Commercial, and we're talking about creating more sustainable and ethical small businesses all month long. If this interview has inspired you to take a fresh look at your business's social, environmental, and commercial impact, we've created a resource for you to do exactly that. We've come up with 10 ways you can make your business a force for good and each take less than an hour to implement. Plus, we're asking our community and listeners like you to contribute their own suggestions for building businesses with a positive impact. To get in on the conversation and find out some easy ways for you to bake doing good into the way you do business, go to ideas.cocommercial.co slash force for good. That's ideas.cocommercial.co slash force for good. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medius and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.